0: Yeah, So it's, it's, it really has nothing, as far, far as I know, to do with multicellularity yet. But the work we're doing in that area is very preliminary, so I don't really want to talk about that yet. So this is... Um, it does have some connections to evolution, but even those are somewhat tenuous. But we are looking, trying to understand um, how different sources can contribute to variation. This is more in the framework of uh, stochasticity in gene expression. So in many, in many different organisms now, you see these types of... Patterns in colonies where you have an isogenic colony and different cells produce different amounts of protein. And what we like, what I, the question we're looking at is, is sort of given this variation, can we understand where it's, where it's coming from? And in particular, what I'd like to be able to answer, which we've some, somewhat done, is if I have my own particular system, my own gene that, I, that I'm interested in, or a genetic system, and I um I want like to know how fluctuations in other systems in the cell impact. My system and cause fluctuations in that system. So things like, for example, in translation, levels of ribosomes can affect can affect fluctuations in my own particular gene. Then, um, how can I measure the effect of those fluctuations, and even how mathematically, how can I write write that down? So I have, from my own system, I have some variance in the output. And I'd like to understand how that variance is influenced by fluctuations in other variables that affect the system within particularly in cell signaling, there's the idea that, that some of the variation we see in a cell over time or in a population it's really coming from signals that the, the cells are responding to the environment. How can we f- identify that information from that that's generated by, by so-called noise? And can we do, anything, do any modeling to relate these things? So the, so the way that we've been thinking about this is... Um, I have, I have some, some gene that makes a protein Z. Um, and let's say that there's, there's two... Other types of protein that affect expression of Z, and um, I can imagine in a very simple case that, that protein A only has two, two values, and then protein B has three values, and let's assume that they change slowly with time. So if I look at any particular cell, it's going to lie in one of these sort of quadrants. It will have a high value of B, and say a low value of A. And these different colours here are supposed to be the probability of those different events happening. Okay, so where the where, this is highly probable, and blue is less probable. Um, but what I observe is across a population of cells, I just observed, Z and Z is influenced by, as I said, by these by these variables. Um, what I'm going to use to try and understand where these fluctuations that are coming from is conditioning, and I'm trying to illustrate that here. So I can imagine if I look, if I fix so for each sorry for each of these individual states, these are different probabilities, and if a cell is in that state. Yeah. But
1: a and B are activators.
0: Doesn't matter. Yeah, you can assume they are if you, if you prefer. Okay. They're just they're just two proteins that influence influence levels of Z in some way.
1: Well, how do you get the glory
0: in your? I just made it up. Okay. This is just this is just an example just to try and illustrate the idea. Okay, so just eat, if I look at a particular cell, it's going to lie in one of these boxes. That's all, and it's going to do it with a certain probability, which is given by this color. Okay, so if it's this is I don't know if you can read that, but that's supposed to be probability, and um, the higher the, brighter, the redder it gets, the more probability it gets.
2: But now the, the the cells that you showed us in your nice pictures at the yeah. beginning, some are on the uh, circumference, on the edge, and some yeah, so spatial effects here. could
0: could be there. So if you wanted to, a could be space. I mean, we could at the moment it's, I just want I just want to think about transcription factors because it's easier, but in, in principle it can be anything.
2: But that that could complicate things too, as, as well. It could give you yeah. a third axis. Of yeah, yeah, of space.
0: I'm Trans- going to deal with. Yeah, I'll do it an axis at some point, but this is just, just to get I'm trying hopefully to get the idea okay, so I have my cells we' are assuming that they're going to lie in one of these boxes with, again with these probabilities. Okay. I can look at the level of Z in each of those cells if I was able to isolate all the cells that and landed just in this box, Z would look like this in this box like this, and so on
2: so this is a histogram now? in on
0: one of these boxes
2: what's the x axis and the those little boxes
0: uh the little boxes. These are just. This is just a histogram of the probabilities. This is just. Uh, just tells you that the probability of being a high, b low is given by this number. But that's what. Okay. And I'm just so saying, the
2: horizontal axis is the z uh, frequency. <coughs> it's, it's how many? Z's. The probability of having different values of z. Yeah. Horizontal axis in the little boxes. Is that right? Yes,
0: exactly. So this thing. I was. Just, I was confused because. Uh, why no?
3: your, your P of Zs on the right or...?
0: Now, this is supposed to be the clarifying slide, so this is not going. The x, well. the x- <laughs> axis is so big,
3: but here's just a little square, so it's the. Well, <laughs> we, all you look.
0: So, it's so, compressed. I take cells that, that are like this. I measure it. histograms of them. It looks like that. Okay, level of Z and those cells look like that. Level of Z and these cells looks like this. Okay, that, that's all you're supposed mm-hmm. to get. These different boxes have different probabilities. That's all. So then what, but really, when I do the experiment, I, I, do, I can't see that the cells are all in all these different boxes. So I get something like this, which is some average over all of these different probability different histograms. OK. Okay. And I can do the averaging. Let's say I can, I can fix A at the low value and then average over B, and then I would get a histogram like this. Or I could fix A at a high value, and then I get a histogram like that. Or I could do it the other way. I could fix B at low, and then I would get these corresponding histograms. Is everybody fine with that? Okay.
2: But Why can't you just go in and label uh, A and B with a different color? Because
0: that yeah. might be difficult. Okay, that might be difficult. Maybe we can do that, but maybe we can't.
2: However, clever experimenter might be able to do it, sure. but he's saying, assuming they can't, we'd like to know what we In principle, this
0: is the framework of the problem. So what I'm going to try and do then is, is to look at the variance of this, or the expectations of this, the variance of this and express it in the variance of these other distributions. This is what I'd like to do. So I'd like to know how much... The variance I see in Z is coming from this these changes in the values of a across the population, and how much the variance in Z is coming from the changes in values of b. And to do that, I'm going to look at the variance of these conditional distributions. So the variance, so I can, you can think of this. For each of these distributions, I can have to do a mean and a variance. So the expectation of Z given that um, a is low and b is low would be the mean of this one. Okay, the expectation of Z. Given a is low, would just be the mean of this distribution. Okay, is that okay? So that's what I'm going to do. So this is kind of a, this idea of these conditional expectations. Are those all the general
3: function that you're
0: using there in the top six boxes? I, I can't remember what I did. I, I just generated something. I, I generated these. You're trying so- to be kind of allured, you, you? said you're just going for the mean and the variance. Yeah. So what? So what I'm going. So I, I, ideally, I, I guess what you, you're saying is I could try and take this and go back to these. But so that's too hard at least for me to do at the moment. So, what I'm going to do is take the variance of, of this and try and relate it to the variance of these different distributions that are present here.
3: would the reason be? I'm confused is
0: that it depend on the form of those individual functions? Uh, I think so. it will. And you'll see as we go on, I hope it'll, it'll become clearer. <laughs> um, but every, OK, so I just these I just made up, and then I sum them. According to these probabilities, to give these and these, and so on.
2: But the inverse problem is presumably
0: underdetermined. Yeah, that's why. But for the variance, that's what we're going to do. For the it. variance, it's less so, but it still is there. Okay. So the way, so more, more formally, the way I'm going to do this is this, these conditional expectations. So these, I certainly didn't know about, and I think most people don't do them in physics very much. Okay. So I have formally, it's defined like this. So I have my Z here. It's a function of, of these of um, part of a stochastic system which has A and B fluctuating, and I can combine it to define the conditional expectation of Z given B as a particular value by averaging over this distribution. So I average over A and Z, and I fix B to be at that value. Okay, and then this gives me some, some function of B, and this function itself is a random variable because it will take different um, numbers depending on the probability that B is equal to low, high, or, or intermediate. Okay, so that's, that's a little bit... Uh, Unusual. So this—it's an expectation, but itself is a random variable, okay? Because it's a conditional expectation. So I can talk about the moments of it and other things. And then I have another shorthand, which is going to be the variance, which is just going to be the um, two expectations—the expectation of z squared given b as a particular value, minus expectation of z given b as that value all squared. Okay. And then the other thing. So this is—we're using um, notation from from mathematics. So when I um, do this. I average over everything except for what I'm conditioning on. Okay, so I could have had multiple. So that could be a function of A, B, C, D, and E. And uh, with, this, with this notation, I average over all of those things except for B, which I fixed. Okay, so hopefully we come. Little B is a particular value of B. That's
3: right. So shouldn't
0: that be E some Z of little B? It should be little well, B equals little B, yeah. Oh, okay. But you get I want to determine because it's a random variable. So the way to think about it is is it's you know it's it's gonna be one of these one of these values, the mean of one of these distributions. And I will do it with a probability given by the probability that B has one of these values. Okay, so right that's so that's sort of the prelude. So then here I have my system. It's, it's, the system of interacting genes and, and proteins. It has some output Z, which I'm going to measure. And I'd like to know how these other variables, which I've picked randomly, so these other three Y variables, how they affect the output of Z. So how fluctuations in those Y variables affect fluctuations in Z. So Y could be within the system of interest, or it could be some other interacting system, ribosomes, or it could be temperature, or potentially space, or whatever, if they're moving. Okay, so it could be, I'm trying, trying to be as general as possible. So, the, so this is the problem. So how do I decompose the variance of z to take account of the fluctuations in these variables? Um, and the idea is that, that we're able to, um, that sort of the intuition is that if I want to see how a variable y influences fluctuations in z, what I'd like to be able to do is go in and fix y in my system somehow and see how the variance in z decreases. And then compare that reduced variance to the variance I had when Z was able to flut- when Y was able to fluctuate. Then the mathematical way we do that is with these conditional expectations. So this is trying to show that it's here. So here I have um, I have a, a simple model of gene expression, and I have a, a, a rate of transcription that that fluctuates between three values. And the, the colors here indicate the rate of transcription. So I think yellow is high, brown is intermediate, and black is low. So it's fluctuating. So I can calculate the mean of Z which, of course, is just fixed. And then here, what so let's assume that y, my variable y is this transcription factor that, that moves between these low, high, and intermediate levels in some random way. And I want to know how fluctuations in y are affecting fluctuations in z. So that, as I said, the intuition is that I'd like to go in and, and, and fix y, see how the variance in z falls, and how much it falls tells me how, how powerful the fluctuations in y are propagated through to those in z. So the way that we do that is we use these conditional expectations. So I do this, con- this is schematic here. So this, is the, this blue line is the expectation of z given y. Okay, so it's, you can see that the mean of z given y is either low, intermediate, or high. And this is the variance of z given y, this blue box around it, and where this is the variance of z if I don't do the conditional expectations. So maybe I should hope. It. So um, the intuition is that you calculate this thing. This blue, average blue distance and subtract it from that one, and that tells me how much fluctuations in y are influencing fluctuations in set. Sorry, I, I just want to
3: make sure that this implies in a real world that you'd have to be able to measure something about y. Yes? About sorry. the abundance of y, right? You, yeah. you have these discrete states where there's more or less y.
0: Uh, in principle, in, in practice, you think there's a trick. Um, but you, at least so far, can get around it. Yeah, so far, that, that's, that's right. Okay, yeah. great. Yeah. Thank you. So we would do that, and then we'd have to also know the probabilities of these different levels of Y, as well, so that we could average this appropriately, to do this interaction. Okay, everybody, any more questions? And Y super H is the ah, high, high value that.
2: of Y or Y no, is? No, I should H say that. I thought
0: I I, thought I haven't got. Okay, so that, uh, maybe it's on the next. So there's a subtlety that um, that uh, the levels of transcription factors don't stay fixed all the time, as I said in the initial example. But of course, they themselves change over time. So this expectation I have to actually, I need to do on the history of Y. And by that, I mean the time series of Y from far back in time all the way up to the present when I'm doing the experiment. Okay. So there's a, there's a whole multitude of those different histories, different trajectories that Y could go through, and I'm going to do averaging over those. But in principle, you can think of it just as, well, in principle, it's very much like just fixing Y. But the next slide, I think I did that a bit more.
2: But, but if Y is a transcription factor, presumably it exists in, a, in, in relatively few copies. Sure. like 5 or 3, That's fine. and so number fluctuations, Gillespie-like, jumping uh, like around, is that taken into account? Yeah, you could
0: do that. So I'm, I'm averaging over all trajectories of y, and y can be discrete or continuous, doesn't matter. Okay, so all path histories. All path histories, yeah. yeah. Um, so this is just saying the same thing. So here, here's the variance of z. This is the variance of z, given my, given, well, actually, given a particular history of my transcription factor, which is shown by these colors. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I average that over all potential histories of transcription factor, which is this expectation. And that gives me my final term. Okay, so the variance of z minus the variance of z are given one particular history of the transcription factor. And this expectation is over the variable that's, that's conditioning on, which here is the histories of, of y. Okay, but I'm going to come back to that again. Okay, so, um, and then you can simplify this, and you get some expression. Okay, so, that, so I, it's, it's, anyway, it's, I find it hard to, to, to uh, talk on. But the idea is that you, you, y is fluctuating. Those fluctuations propagate through to z. And what we're doing is we're going in and we're fixing mathematically, at least, about fixing y to some value, or to actually some history. And we're seeing how the variance falls when we fix that one variable. And we look at the difference between the variance of z and the variance of z given that that variable y is now fixed, on average. And that gives us some indication of the magnitude of the fluctuations of y on z
1: what does time
0: mean here? All previous times in the history of the system? Yeah, so, so why do we care? So, so, We care about history because all biochemical networks remember over, over the, say, the protein degradation time over the response time of the system. Mm-hmm. So in principle, it's all it's history back as far as, as you'd like to go. But in practice, the only thing that matters is over this memory of whatever biochemical system you're looking at.
2: And
0: how do you know how long that is? It doesn't matter. When we, I'll come, but. Okay.
3: I guess I'm a little confused. Why can't you have something pretty complicated where the fluctuations in Y are correlated to what happens to the other variables so that you actually suppress, so that you, you you
0: know you don't get something that fluctuates more when. Uh, um, so you're saying if it, I think you're saying if if said f- goes back and influences Y. If, yeah. Something yeah, like
2: yeah, some so this. I believe
0: everything works in that case. It's just very hard to interpret what these different terms mean. Then. Okay? I think mathematically, it doesn't. It doesn't mathematics doesn't care.
2: But, but what does works mean? You'll come up with some prescription to help the experimentalists. Yeah. I will. I will. At the end. No, okay. in the middle. In the middle. All right. okay. yeah. yeah. I don't
1: really know much statistics. So there's something called pain
0: over. Yeah, I don't know what that
1: so, is. which is basically. Uh, like, like a, a Lynch, I can, uh, yeah, this oh, sounds I was, just like it. So no, this, this, this is this is this is very similar. To
0: me. To, it's very similar to the law of total variance, which may have been so abused a The law of total variance. And the variance,
1: yeah, decomposing variance into into components, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So apparently right. invented by Fisher. Right?
0: So, but the yeah. law, the, the there's something called the law of total variance, which is old, which is this. What we we've done is we have extended, which only works when there's one Y variable. We've extended that now to where you can have multiple Y variables. And no one I've met so far can tell me that that's been done before. And this history thing is a slight difference as well. So The law of total variance doesn't have histories. but okay. Um, okay, anyway, right. So, All right, so then remember we had an original system. Back up. I mean, you,
3: you're Sorry. just looking at the variance explained by the model and the, the other stuff, the residual
0: variance. You can think of it a little bit like that, yeah. yeah. Um, OK. Right, so here, here we had Z, we had our three variables. So then we can do this um, generally. So then I have I can decompose my variance of Z into into four components, one normally coming from each of the all of the Y variables, and one describing what's left. Okay, now each of these each of these terms is very hard to read. I'll, I'll come back to that in a minute, but but you can th- they all, they are all expressions like this. Okay, so this is this one here is the variance of Z when I fix Y one. Minus the variance in z when I fix y1 and y2, and the average value of that. And that gives me this, this term, which is the term, how fluctuations in y2 affect z, given I know y1. This is how fluctuations in y3 affect z, given I know I have kind of for y2 and y1. And this is what, because other variables can affect z, this is what's left over. So this is the variance in z when I fix y1, y2, and y3.
1: This is exactly what financial variance. is. You break up parents into within group and between groups. And then if there are groups within the groups themselves, then you
0: do this recursively, which is exactly what you're doing. Uh, I mean, well, we've, I've talked to various people. And they don't say that it's exactly the same, but we're, you know, Tom Kurtz and people who, who certainly know more than I do. Um, but it's, it's, it's very, it certainly analogous to the law of total variance. So when there's this is one variable, it gives you the law of total variance. And we haven't seen anywhere where, you, where someone's extended that to more. Um, okay. Now, usually, well, sorry. So then, we can do this generally. You know, usually at this point, someone says, "Hang on, this isn't. I could redefine my Ys, and I could get a different result." Um, so that's that's true. So there's there's some degeneracy here, but this is just that's part of the mathematics of how you decompose these variances. Um, and, in, and in biological systems, there's usually a very natural hierarchy, where this, so this where this you don't have to worry about. There's an obvious order where. Um, for, you know, the, such as the central dogma, so in which to sort of to orient, um, to put your whys.
2: but you, Could you order it by some maximum li- uh, some principal value decomposition? Or
0: um, we haven't tried doing that. You could do something like that. I mean, you could also symmetrize it. I mean, you could consider all possibilities and, and, and so on, if you wanted to. Um, in the cases we've looked at, the, the, the different we've had one. I've looked at one case where there's different orderings, and they both have been give different insights. So doing it both ways is. In, in that case, there's only two. <coughs> Um, right, so just to try and go over again what these, these things mean. So these expectations of variance of expectations are very hard to, to read. So the the idea is that here I, I have z, I integrate out of everything except for y1 and y2. So now I have a function of y1 and y2. I calculate the variance of that given that y1 is fixed. So I'm calculating the variance over fluctuations in y2. Okay, and then the last expectation is over over y1, which I had fixed before. Okay, so, you can hopefully, you can see this is accounting this is for the effects of y fluctuations in y2 on z. Okay, so, reading those are hard, I think. So, just again, so integrated, the notation is I integrate it over everything except for y1 and y2. So, then I get a function of y1 and y2. Here, I calculate the variance, I fix y over everything except for y1, so now there's only y2 left. So, the variance is over y2. And the last expectation then is over the variable that I haven't touched, which is y1. So you can see mathematically. Hopefully, it's not you can sort of mathematically see how you un, unzip these things to, to understand what they mean. It's not very bit difficult to do after lunch, but
2: uh. if you started with something conditioned on capital Y two, there would be a, a mirror image of steps that would presumably give you the same answer at the
0: end. Or? Um, I think it would, be, it would potentially be different. Okay, because if you, if you swap the order here, you get you get different things. So if this was a Y two here, it, it would be a different number. I'll get a different number at the end. Yes.
3: Okay.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and then we said so we can do this generally. So if I have n y variables, I can do the same thing, and you get you know, something. Right. Um, so just an example. So this is an old, uh, well it's within the noise field that's that it's been around a while. So the, if I look at the, the variance in z of, a, of some gene expression, then I can people have de- decompose it into intrinsic and extrinsic variation, where the idea is that extrinsic variation is variation that comes because of the interactions of the system with the rest of the cell. For example, like the levels, number of ribosomes fall, fluctuations in Z, or levels of Z will fall, and if numbers are ribosomes rise or so temperature changes, these will all change. So people lumped, have lumped all these things, <coughs> if you can read that, into these extrinsic variables. So then I can decompose my variance of Z into two terms, which is just the law of total variance. One, which is the... Variation coming from the extrinsic variables, and the other ones, the variation coming from the intrinsic variables. So I take Z, I fix all the extrinsic variables, calculate the variance, and then average overall trajectories of these extrinsic variables. So that. So I can do a two-way decomposition. So here I'm looping all the, everything extrinsic to gene expressing, gene expression, which is somewhat subjective, but um, into these YEs. So ribosomes RNA polymerases. I don't know, ATP levels, temperature, cell, cell environment, et cetera.
2: So what are examples of things that are intrinsic?
0: So intrinsic things, so the, the best, well, I, um, you could say the number of transcribing RNA polymerases would be intrinsic. The number of polymerases, but not the number of transcribing? Ribosomes. Transcribing, or the number, number of translating ribosomes. I
2: see,
0: but not the yeah. total number. But not the total number, because that affects all, all genes. Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> yep.
1: Has this been tested without the fitting parameter
0: experimentally? Uh, yeah, well, you can, met, you, I mean, you, I don't know how you can test it, but you can certainly measure both these I things.
1: Like, uh, uh, this, I, I know one <coughs> this can be done quantitatively.
0: Yeah, well, I'll show you. I mean, we, we, did, we did this a long time ago, but we didn't really understand, at least I didn't fully understand what we were doing then. Um, but, uh, but any but, fitting
1: parameter in you modeling
0: that time? There's, there's no fitting parameter because I'm not. Com- I'm. Uh, um, we could do that now, but at the time we weren't trying to compare with predictions because there's, there's, you can appreciate that there's many parameters going into each of these terms and it's very hard to, when you just measure it, you get two numbers and you can't really fit it very well.
2: But by extrinsic variation, you mean the signals it's receiving from other cells in the neighborhood?
0: Yeah, it could be. And we said extrinsic rather than external to, 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 uh, so people didn't, didn't think just of that. Um, which is externalism more physics, as you know. Uh, okay, right, so that's, that's just one, one example. Now I can try and be clever and, and do this go further. And now I can condition on the extrinsic variables as before, but also on the levels of mRNA. And this then allows me to, to, to differentiate, to, to break up this extrinsic noise, if you like, into two components a translational one and a transcriptional one. Okay, so now I have two variables, so I have three terms in my decomposition. And I, and I claim that they're suitably labelled in, in, in this way. You could
2: separate post-transcriptional regulation if you wish. If you wish to. Yeah. Then the definition of extrinsic would change.
0: Yeah, and I'll do that a little bit later on. All right. Um, okay, so I think I've got one more of these. Just trying to ex- explain why these these are suitable definitions. So this I call translational. So this is I remember my system is very. should have had a diagram there, it's Just this, 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 this. Okay. I, I make mRNA; it's translated into protein. Very simple. Um, so here I am saying uh, this, I claim, is translation, uh, a measure of translational variation, and that's because I, I fixed mRNA and I fixed the extrinsic variables. So all the variation is coming, or most of the variation, because it's is coming from the, the randomness in the translations of that fixed number of mRNAs, which perhaps is called translational variation. Here, this is the transcriptional one, so this is a bit more complicated. So I, I take Z, I integrate out everything except for the levels of mRNA and the, and the extrinsic variables. I fix the extrinsic variables and let the levels of mRNA fluctuate. So it's how fluctuations in the level of mRNA affect our downstream protein. So that we claim is transcriptional variation. Okay, so okay, if transcription changes, level of mRNA, uh, levels of mRNA should change. Um, but, okay, all right. So we can do this, and we can do it for extrinsic variation as two if we wish. But this is only useful if we, can, if we can measure these things. And so what we can do is we can give a, um, a set of conditions that experiments should satisfy to so be able to measure each one of these terms in this decomposition. And whether you can build reporters to actually do those measurements is different, but we can tell you what the reporters should do to be able to measure the terms. And this is, this is based um, this is based the idea that what, what we have is I have my original system. I want to know how y fluctuations in y affect fluctuations in z. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to build what we call a conjugate reporter um, that obeys these, these two properties. And what this means is that, or this one in particular means, it means that the only way that there's any correlation between fluctuations in z, or fluctuations in z prime, is through fluctuations in y. Okay, so I, I design my reporter to, so to enforce that constraint. So only if, if y goes up well, I expect to be some correlations between these two and as y goes down, okay, so, which is sort of, hopefully, you can see from here. Okay, so if I, if I design my reporter to be like that, then if I measure the covariance between these two things, it has to be telling me about the influence of y on z.
2: But Couldn't it be some spatial rearrangement of the ingredients in the network that you're probing? One could be on opposite sides of the nucleus
0: from the left and the right. Yeah, so it's so so, so so. So, okay, so, this, so I have to establish this. I also have to establish this. So, this looks trivial, but isn't because it's a conditional, conditional mean. So, that means that the value of z for my z prime for my reporter system on average should be the same as z for all values of y. And that removes all those problems. Okay, so that's that's a hard thing to satisfy. Yeah. <coughs>
2: Do
1: you expect that there I guess, the, sorry, the external
0: fluctuations are going to introduce correlations between these two? Uh, no, I, I purposely design the system. So I make a whole second copy, or I, make, I put in some new system which is going to be a reporter system. And I design it in such a way that the only way I can see fluctuations, that fluctuations in this will be correlated with that, <laughs> is because of fluctuations in Y. So these are the requirements. So how, how you do that, I'm not, I'm not saying, you, you, okay, I'm saying that. I it, if I want to build, if I want to measure this, I have to have this kind of system.
3: But both reporters are in the same. They're
0: cell in the same cell. cell. Yeah. So if you have
1: the cell division, right, yeah, it'll introduce some
0: correlations between. both. Yeah. yeah. And that's okay. Yeah, was that something we could incorporate as one of our variables if we wanted to?
1: But is in some sense, you assume the internal dynamics is linear. It's linear. Yeah. No, no, not at all. Really. Yeah. yeah. And it did you also make an assumption which about the external noise is additive noise?
0: No, nothing like that. So it's just completely general, but, it to, but the, the reporter has to obey these two conditions, and these aren't trivial. Okay, so I have one example. Well, I have almost two examples where, where this is where you can do this kind of thing. But,
3: but it's just, I, To make sure that I understand it, this is like saying the only thing that influences both z and its conjugate can be y. There can be no other things that influence both of them. Correct. Yeah. yeah.
0: And Y, of course, could include. You could always include temperature in your Y variable, for example, which you know will always affect, but but then you're measuring. When you measure those covariance, you're measuring those effects, and that's something you need to be
2: careful. So when you say you have two examples where the conditions are satisfied, you've persuaded two experimental
0: groups. Well, one. One. We did. I mean, with Michael Elvitz, we did this a long time ago. Okay. For one. So we have that example. Have one example. Yeah. And the other one, we have. We, well, someone, uh, Victor Shorjik, almost did it, but not quite. Almost. Did it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. So. so, that, so so the, the, the people, but people get the idea. I, mean, I think Andrew said it clearly. That's sort of what the idea. I'm mean, correlation
2: in time. What is this correlation?
0: It's the co- it's going to be a, it's going to be a covariance across a population of cells. Uh, but it can be. It doesn't have to be a steady state or anything. That could be any point in time.
2: And in the original work with in, with Elowitz, did you distinguish between cells on the edge and cells in the middle?
0: Uh, we had to we had to normalize correctly because we were using a mercury lamp, and so the illumination was different at the edge from in the middle. So when yes. we when we corrected for that, then we believed we were okay. Okay, meaning that Th- that our two reporters were statistically equivalent, so, and given and given Y, which in that, in that case was the extrinsic. And line. is it
2: true that a cell at the edge, once you fix the lamp problem and so forth? Well, think, but
0: also we weren't sorry. We weren't, in that case. We weren't growing in colonies. Okay, we grew them in liquids, and we put them on a... On a oh, okay, so you're just looking
2: it. down on them yeah, yeah, relatively yeah. separated. Yeah, yeah. But it could be very different when they're collectively touching yeah. and yeah, yeah.
0: interacting. But I think I think you, if you wanted to try and include those... You things, could you generalize could so. it to that case, yeah, but absolutely. it has stuff.
2: Yeah, it has
0: okay. yeah. Okay. People are getting tired. Okay. So then if I wanted to... So here's my decomposition where I have four, four terms. So then I need... I have to build all these different. I have to build uh, uh, three different reporters. So, one reporter that's conditionally independent given the history of Y1, its covariance with Z will give me this term. Another reporter that's conditionally independent given the histories of Y1 and Y2, and its covariance will give me the sum of these terms. Another one given Y2, Y1, Y2, and three, Y3, and its covariance will give me the sum of all of these terms. So, in principle, I can do all that, and I can put them all. If, I could, if experimentally it was possible, I could put them all in the same cell. Or I can do them in in, in uh, pairs, so one reporter for Z and one reporter, one conjugate reporter, in, in, in pairs of cells. Okay. Um, right. And again, the, the idea that this is this is a um, the conditions that you need to build these reporters. So in some cases you can do that, in other cases you can't. And, and I have an example which I may talk about where you um, you get a bound when you when you, come, you use a reporter that's an approximation to some of these things, rather than the exact measure on on, these, on the covariance. Okay, so as we said, I mean, the, the one that's more straightforward to do is this idea of distinguishing between extrinsic and intrinsic variation. And the idea, is I've done in E. coli, is just to take a, the same promoter and put a different fluorescent protein on it so we can distinguish between the two and assume that's all, um, we have the same distributions. And then these, these two reporters will be influenced. The only way they will co vary is through fluctuations in the extrinsic variables. Okay, if ribosomes go up, translation from both goes up, if ribosomes go down both poles. the temperature goes up, translation from both should change, or whatever. Levels of both should change. The cell environment changes, again, levels from both should change in a correlated way. So the only way they're correlated is through these extrinsic variables. So if they measure the covariance between these two, then I should get this too. And it turns out if you measure the average distance square between them, then you get this one. Yeah?
1: Is it evident that in the experimental system, the two replication forks go with the same speed?
0: Yeah. So there was uh, I, retrospectively, I think. It, so Nicholas was alluding to the fact that we call coli has a circular chromosome, and we and we placed the two reporters equidistant from the origin of replication. It may have been better to put them both beside each other. Uh, but yeah, who knows? Yeah.
2: But at least they're symmetric with respect. They were symmetric. Yeah. They was symmetric. I mean,
0: yeah, there was some, it was, yeah. I mean, oh, we worried. Yeah. We worried about this. Yeah. And so if you anyway. the... Okay, so that's one the other example and is tr- okay, so this is just showing the, the numbers. So um, okay, so if I decrease expression, I expect the intrinsic noise to go up. And I see uh, more colors here. So that's, that's correlation. So the intrinsic component is is higher. So can
3: you explain here what the reporters
0: are? Um, this is just the lac lac Z promoter, or a, a sort of a modified version of the lac. Oh, so
2: what's the equivalent of Z and Z, right? Yeah,
0: so so um, in this case one of the colors would be Z. So Let's say it doesn't matter which one. It's the green one, and the other the other one would be the conjugate reporter. So we'd say we want to characterize this particular promoter, which was this. I forgot now what it was, but some modified version of a lac promoter. From from So Pujard. I mean, What's the actual
3: construction of the reporter? So we
0: have a we have a, we have our promoter, and then we have a, a, a I think it was CFP, and then we have on the other side of the other arm of the chromosome we have the same promoter, and we have a YFP. On the other arm of yeah. But on the right so side, so they're is
1: not reporting different biological uh, information; they're just doing it in different colors. Yeah. And so, so to so
2: they, they fulfill your Z Z prime.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so the only reason, so the reason why they should look like this, is because of fluctuations in, in ribosomes or whatever it is. When
2: you say like this, you all, yellow. The same I mean all
0: yellow. I mean all yellow. So now I have equal amounts of red and green, so they're highly correlated. Okay, but some are reddish. And some well, greenish. yeah, 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 yeah. Sure, it's not, it's not, it's not okay. perfect. So the numbers are here. So the extrinsic here is. Uh, it's, it's, well, in both cases, it's more. Um, but as we de- as we decrease the numbers of proteins, then we expect these stochastic effects to be more important. So, on one allele, there'll be sorry. The de- we de- what if we've, we've decreased the um, level of expression. We've added um, black eye. Okay, so now that now that the average level of expression from each is is lower, I see. so there's this. So then these these so for example, the number of um, mRNAs that mRNAs that being translated will start to differ between the two the two alleles, if you like. And that's why you, this color starts to come on.
2: So if you can do it with different colors, it doesn't seem very difficult. Before, when, when you introduced the Z ZZ prime, I thought, this is going to be very hard. How can we find the 4 yeah, So, 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 so a different colors? But fine. they
0: still have to have this condition so that they're conditionally dependent. Whatever you want to measure. Here I'm measuring this very large set of extrinsic variables that was almost deliberately defined to be as large as it needed to be. Mm-hmm. So that anything that affects both reporters in the same way. We lump into this class of extrinsic variables. Right,
2: so why here is this enormous? Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, what you're saying is very tough. If
0: you want to make it tighter, then it, yeah, beca- it becomes much course course more challenging, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I
2: have
1: a question that goes back to the uh, question. Uh, actually, if you're, uh, your reporter is uh, diffusing inside the cell, yeah. so uh, depending on the, the volume, Okay, you don't have the same concentration. Uh, so, uh, and as far as I understood, the something that would act uh, globally at the, the site of the cell is considered as a noise. Okay, but if the the, the division are not uh, synchronous, mm-hmm. okay, you will have also fluctuation. But is, yeah. uh, so
0: that so so remember the reporter. Well, obviously, the reporters is in the same cell. So, any particular cell that's seeing the same volume. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. But, but, and then, but there are the, these effects of, of noise and division is part of these extrinsic variables. I mean, in some sense, they're defined as conveniently as they can be. Yeah.
3: there can be <coughs> variation extrinsic to the cell that mm. is operating It come out of your intrinsic component, right? If yeah. So that,
0: that, that's that's true. Yeah. Okay. So the you see that if I jump back a bit, you see that more in these sort of definitions. So here, I'm not saying. I take Z. I average over a particular set of values of extrinsic variables, and then I average over the distribution. So, of anything causes yeah, 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 that's right. Um, and I, we can actually calculate some, if, for some models, I mean, we can calculate those effects how they trickle through.
2: Would sequence heterogeneity differences on either side of the origin of replication weakly break your equivalence between Z and Z prime?
0: Uh, possibly. I mean, we didn't play with it too much. We looked at um, uh, what's it called, a RecA mutant. And that we, so that's believed to rescue stalled, uh, stalled DNA polymerase complexes. So when we play with the levels of that, then we saw much more variation, much more color coming out. but that's presumably because it was breaking the system. Right. Okay. So then the, the half experiment is, is this one. So this was the idea where we wanted to try and um, decompose this intrinsic into these two different components. And so what I, what I did here is I, I, I conditioned on the levels of mRNA on this, this large set of extrinsic variables um, and so I have to build I need two two reporters well three reporters um, so one that's conditionally dependent given the history of the extrinsic variables that 's just the same as the one we did before. so if you ignore this for the moment here's my let's called this is the promoter I 'm interested in here's my reporter Z, and here's Z prime it's just the same promoter okay so these only correlations in extrinsic variables cause these two things to be correlated. Now the second reporter is a bit more tricky. There I want to make only fluctuations in the extrinsic variables and the fluctuations in levels of mRNA cause them to be correlated. Okay, that's what this term tells me. I'm conditioning on mRNA and extrinsic variables so they have to, only through fluctuations in these two should Z and Z double prime be correlated. And the trick to do that is to use, uh, the principle is to use a bistrasonic reporter. So where I have a the same ribosome binding site here in bacteria, and the same one here, um, and then levels of fluctu- levels as mRNA fluctuates, these um, these will both fluctuate together. Okay, if mRNA is high, translation for both increases. If mRNA is low, translation for both decreases. Is
1: the relative amount of translation coming from each of the
2: two of them important? I mean, I could imagine that the the efficiency of the site. Yeah, would vary so it has to. It, it should be ideally.
0: It should be the same. Ideally, it should be the same. Yeah. So, so Victor Sordic has done this, but he did it with um, two different proteins. So, instead of having Z and Z double prime, he had Z and something, and whatever something, something else, and that gave us a bind. So, using his data, we can get a bind on the, the magnitude of the translational term because they don't, it doesn't satisfy exactly the properties that we require. So, they're still conditionally independent given levels of mRNA and the extrinsic variables. So, it's still doing this stuff, but they don't have the same conditional mean, which is the other property that we require. So, we get that, in that case, we end up getting a bind. So I think I'm going to skip. OK, so, th- so this, in principle, this is an if, what you could do is then if you had your, your particular system, you can take it. You can say, I'm interested in, these, in how these variables affect it, fluctuations in these, these variables affect it. You can write down a decomposition, potentially several, you can choose one which is most interesting to you. And then you can go, we can give you conditions that the reporters need to build, have to satisfy. And then you can think about whether it's possible to build those things, and whether they have to do some, some sort of workaround to build approximations to them. But as, I guess from the point of view of theory, it tells you what you need. Um, okay, so then we can use the same. As quickly, so we can use the same trick to calculate these things. So these things look very difficult to try and sort of to actually get, but you can you can use the same idea that I can just take my model of my system and add my conjugate reporters and measure the covariance mathematically in the model, and that will then give me these terms.
2: How does the fact that uh, history is taken into account? The mathematics. How does that affect how we need to do this experiment?
0: It doesn't, because the, the beauty of the experiment is as the, as the cells grow. I mean, the history you can't you can't not have the history there. So basically,
1: you, history begins when you begin the experiment. Yeah. I
0: or, see. Or, so it's always there. So whenever a cell you have, it always has some history. Right, so it was whenever in the
2: it, freezer before and somebody grew up. Yeah. So biology. that that's
0: part of it, and hopefully that doesn't affect your experiment because you've you've I grown see, them long so you enough.
2: Don't take that
0: for an. Interview. Well, it, it's in the in the, the, math, the mathematics does, but hopefully that part, the, when you do the experiment, you grow them up first and that removes those effects because they, they forget about them. But they need not. Okay, so the, the idea is that so when, I'm, when I'm averaging across a population of cells, each of those has experienced a different history. And so but when I'm doing that averaging, I'm averaging over these histories. And I, can't, I, I always have to average over histories. There's no way I can... So I can you not. don't need to
3: know what the history is, but the histories can well, well, the
0: history has to be the same. At least. At least this experimental okay. procedure of generating the cells should be the same. Otherwise, I'm averaging over different, different histories, different types of histories.
2: But if you only have five cells, are you getting a faithful uh, average in no. a Monte Carlo sense of all possible histories?
0: You mean is it ergodic in some sense?
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, I, don't, I don't... What do we think about that? Uh, presumably not. Right? But this, this holds outside of steady state. Because I don't, I don't need to be at steady state for this to work in principle. Yeah. Of course, with five, with five measurements, I'm not going to do, do very well at estimating. But, um, but it doesn't need to be at steady state for it to hold, or at equilibrium.
2: Just worried whether the experimenter can provide enough histories
0: so that you think will converge even out of the steady state. Sure. That's that's an issue. Yeah, yeah. But, but that's if you want to do this kind of thing, I don't think you can avoid. Maybe this may, this may not be the right thing to do, but if you decide to do this, I don't think you can avoid that issue. Sorry, maybe you
1: turn us. How do you engineer the
0: C I C prime? So this is supposed to be a, a bisystronic mRNA. So it has uh, two independent ribosome binding sites. And I have two different, I have a YFP and a CFP on here. I mean, not the best colors, but anyway. assuming that they don't overlap in frequency with the GFP, but anyway. Okay, so I just, so I'm, people have done that before. And you still call out. Yeah. All right. I think I will move quickly on. Okay, so I said we can do this, if people like to do calculations, we can do the same kind of thing. So this is, very quickly, this is a master equation describing uh, this system. So, and I, I've now I've let my, my transcription rate fluctuate between t- three states. And I want to measure these different covariance terms, the translation terms, translational and the, and the transcriptional variation. And the way they do that is I add a add this conjugate recorder to my master equation, which is just identical. Here you see, that's the second one. And then I have now I have this, this, these terms here describe the fluctuations in the rate of transcription. So it moves between three states, P0, P1, and P2, which is these 0 low, intermediate, and high. I get three master equations. I can go ahead and solve them all. I can find the covariance between my two reporters mathematically, and that gives me these, the different terms in the equation. Yeah. Why do you have three master equations? I have three master equations because it's a trick, because I have three states here. So oh, this, is state. just, okay. this is I the state? Ju- you
2: can separate. Yeah, yeah. This is the high, low, intermediate yeah, approximation example. to illustrate yeah. the idea. Yeah. yeah. And the cartoon on the right—I think you said this—but the little heptagons are a protein that gets degraded. Are they ribosomes? They're supposed to
0: be proteins. Sorry. So this is mRNA translating makes a protein. Yeah. And then it it gets degraded. It gets degraded.
2: Okay. So I have a the degradation rates.
0: Yeah. Translation term. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's very simple. But this is—I think this is a useful trick to try to measure these things. And if if I have more states here of this input variable, then I could have more of these master equations. But or I could try and model it explicitly, but that gets hard if you put it. If you have one master equation with a fluctuating variable. Um, okay, and then you can go ahead and you can just calculate, end up calculating all these things, which is sort of somewhat nice. Um, and I'll maybe just show you how to do that. So is the way
3: this is set up, is the assumption that uh, the translational variances are orthogonal to the transcriptional variance?
0: Yeah, so they're orthogonal they're in the sense that they're, well, that's a, that least me right perfectly to the next part. So answers, yes. and Does that mean-
3: if you had
0: transcriptional states and like big three classes, this would be a, like a nested analysis of variance. Um, what, I, what we can do, generally, we can, write, we can write Z as a sum of, in, in this case, it would be of three terms. And we can show that each of those terms, the variance of each of those terms gives rise to, to each of these things. And the covariance between those terms is zero. So in that sense, they're orthogonal. But I have another example. Let's see how people feel
2: when I get there. But if the ribosomes jumped onto a nascent a transcript before it was completely finished, which often does happen, yeah, yeah. would that mess up this orthogonality?
0: Uh, it depend- it, it, it Then they it it would be correlated in some sense, at least spatially. So potentially. I mean, they, so they have to—they ha- have to obey these conditions. We have to have this conditional independence, and if they don't have that, then it all breaks apart. So experimentally, you, know, you never, perhaps, never have that. But you have to make a call, whether right? you believe it's what you have is sufficient.
2: Okay, and this number eighteen is, is exact or is No no, no this is just this is just showing
0: that these things are you can Example, you can make predictions the of these things. Yeah. So these, right. assuming these numbers three and fifty. Which okay. are, you, know, you get eighteen. And this is someone's measured this. Okay, so it's so this is saying that Ez over E M experimentally is, is five hundred and forty, this from Sunny Z's group. And so this says that at
2: least consistent with your inequality.
0: Yeah, and also well it says that this that transcriptional tends to be more dominant than translational. Which is what people sort of knew. Yeah.
1: Sorry, that that number five hundred forty is that like for
0: any? No, this is I I can't remember. I think I got the sunny Z has measured uh, sunny group C's group has measured uh, some large hundreds of of different proteins in E. coli, and I just took the average from their from their data. I think it's. I don't remember. Yeah, I assume so, but I don't, I don't remember. Yeah. All right, so uh, I don't know, people are fading. So we'll go a little bit further and then maybe stop. Um, so we can do this with a signaling pathway. So now I have an environment X that, that can change state. This causes uh, transcription factor eventually to be activated, which causes Z to be produced. I can decompose the variance of Z then into four terms. I get a gene expression term, a signal transduction term, and an extrinsic term, and then an input term. And I'm going to skip how we measure all those things because I don't think that's relevant at the moment. Um, and I'm going to focus on, on, on interpreting this term. Okay, so this is this is how it changes in the input. So if you like how fluctuations in the input affect fluctuations in the output set. So this, this is uh, a measure of How information is propagating through the network. That doesn't
2: include activators of signal transduction?
0: Um, It does in a sense that we're we're integrating. Expectation is done over all of those things. uh, But we're keeping the input fixed. So in a sense, it is is averaging over those effects. Okay.
2: But signal transduction gets separated out because it's everything
0: that's... So, So the way I define signal transduction here, which is that um, if, I th- if it's from fluctuations in T, so if levels of T. Uh, anything that I'm saying that signal transduction is, enough, is the process that causes levels of T to fluctuate, and so I ask then, high levels, fluctuations in levels of T propagate through to Z, and whatever that number is, I call the, the effect coming from signal transduction.
1: Okay.
0: The signal transduction not a subset of input signals? Well, I mean, we're okay. Here, here I'm grouping it as things outside the cell. But you could, you know, you could easily lump these terms together if you wish. That's how you choose to do it. All right. So then I, I'll go a little bit further. Okay. So this, so then, so this, gets, so this gets towards this idea of information. Um, as you, so, so mathematically, as you all probably know, information is some measure of how easy it is to distinguish from the output the input. So here I have two distributions from my output protein, one causing to, from a red input and one from a blue input. And for, by measuring the level of output, it's very easy to tell whether the input is in the red or the blue state. As I uh, increase the noise in the system, I end up with things like this, where a, a single measure of the output is much harder to tell whether the input is in the red or the blue state. So what we'd like to be able to do is, given our variance instead, can we ask which part of it is coming from this input signal, and does that tell us something about how well the pathway is transducing information? Um, so this is this, this idea again. The same this thing I showed before. So I have remember I have a Z is, is a, a protein. It's, I have a <coughs> transcription rate that fluctuates between three levels, sort of high, intermediate, and low. The uh, level of Z is shown here. It's very noisy. But what I'm highlighting now is the expectation of Z given the value of the input, which now is a U rather than X. And you can see that if I look at that this this particular expectation, it's very easy to read off what level of, what level of input is. Okay, here the. If, you, if the expectation of Z given you has this value, the input is low. And then if it has this value, it's high, and here it's intermediate. These, these three values are cleanly separated. So the idea then is that if I can somehow measure, measure this quantity, then I can, I can deduce what, what value of input I had outside the cell. And then how much this, this quantity varies then it's some measure of how much information is flowing through the, through the network.
2: Thank you. Yeah.
0: How does this model compare with the standard uh, like information? Did we uh, I'll get to that in a minute. Um, okay, just to give you some feeling, so this is again a, just a model. So I have a, an input. I have a, a very simple model of this transduction pathway that ends up with a protein, a green protein being activated, or yeah, anyway, so it, it binds the receptor and then the receptor activates it, and then it gets converted back into being off or red. And I've put different values of the uh, levels of input here, so again, high, low, and intermediate. And I get these different distributions for the levels of Z, of of, of of activated protein. And in this case, you can see, intuitively, it's very hard to tell from the level of Z whether the input is in the low, the high, or the intermediate, or the medium state. And this is reflected by this calculation. So this is the the informational component is blue, and the rest of it is transductional, or, or noise, if you like, and you see there's much more noise than information. In the variance of z here. If I change the parameters so that that changes, so now I have much more informational component and much less noise, then an effect that seems to be, we can prove you know, in a hand waving way, it is generic, that uh, when I increase the informational fraction in my variance, an effect is that the distributions, the sort of um, marginal distributions separate, sorry, conditional distributions separate. Okay, and this then disagrees with the intuition that, that within mutual information also it should increase, and it does in this case. So I have a within my variance, I have a, the term which is the informational term if uh, for, a, for a fixed value of the input which can take one of different, several different values, I get these output distributions for Z and if there's a higher informational fraction in, or there's more information in my variance, then these distributions separate, and so therefore it 's more easy to tell from the level of the protein which distribution the input was in so if I make, so I can, we have some measure of how uh, well, the pathways transduce information. And I got four more slides, and I think i
2: And the unit nats is some Shannon-like. Yeah, yeah. So this is just com-
0: this, this is just comparing. So I calculate the mutual information for this system, and show that it goes up in this simple case. Yeah. We'll That's all. yeah. But in fact, we can go further. We can. Well, do oh, it in a second. All right. So in this. So jumping on a bit. So. I can then take, so what I'd like to do then is I'd like to decompose Z into two, so two terms. So this is, uh, I have a signal term and I have these error terms. Um, and the signal term then is the, is the sort of the true signal that transduces through the network. And that's given by this expectation of Z given U of like I said. And this is a simulation where this is Z is the output. This is the input. And the red is the expectation of Z given U. And you can see it, it mimics the input uh, very well. And here, the, here it also mimics the input. So this is where I have a noisy, more noisy input. And you can see that the expectation of Z given you tracks that. So this is a good measure of the input. These are the error terms. Uh, we'll stop, everyone's leaving. So this is, um, we can interpret these. So I get a, a dynamic error term, which is some measure of how the response time of the system affects its ability to track. And I get a mechanistic error, which is a measure of the, um, the sort of the stochasticity in the system. So rather than go through that in more detail, I'll just show you. So this is this idea that uh, you, the, uh, you was asked. So I, have a, I can decompose Z into three components. If I look at the variance of Z, it becomes like this. And so in a sense, these three components are orthogonal, in that, in that the covariance between this one and that one is 0, and so on. And you can do that generally for any decomposition. Um, and then we can go ahead and calculate the magnitude of these errors. Um,
1: so
0: the output is also a The input the output is possible also? Well, this to be the output. So this, I would call this the output. But a particular component of the output is orthogonal to the error. So this is the true signal that propagates through. Here u is the input. And these are the error terms. And there's no covariance between this and either of these error terms.
1: But is there any coherence between your various the different kinds of noise
0: you're putting as an input? Um, in this case you you I just have one input, okay, and you can be an arbitrary signal. It can be this it's a, just a fluctuating input signal. Okay, so it doesn't it can have a co- it can have a correlation time, it can be whatever you want. Uh, all right. Um, okay, so then just to show that as we change these, these different magnitudes of errors you see different results and then I'll stop. So here we have more of this dynamical error which is some measure again of, the, of how the response time of the system uh, impedes its ability to track the input. And so you see the, the red line is, is the input and you see that the output um, constantly misses it because it's, it's too slow, it's trying to catch up all the time. Um, the opposite side is where I have a small dynamical noise but a high mechanistic noise. And then they track very well, but then there's a, because there's a high mechanistic noise, it's, there's a very, it's very stochastic, so I get big fluctuations. So again, I get a poor fidelity, a poor measure of information flow. And it's really when you put a balance between these two things that the, thing, that the, thing is the system is able to, to track well. And we can quantify that, and we can calculate this fidelity, which is a sort of a signal-to-noise ratio, some measure of the true signal to this, and we can relate this to mutual information It gives us a bind on mutual information. And then I'll stop. Okay. I'll skip this. Okay, so um, general decomposition of variation for all. We believe for all dynamical system, for all dynamic systems at all times, we can give you conditions at least that, that for the reporters need to satisfy to be able to measure components of this system. We, in particular, we can identify a component that, that's due to information flow, and we can calculate these things in models, so you can compare models with experiments better. And this is all done with Clyde Barshaw, who's a mathematician at Bristol. And with Margaritas Voliotis, who's um, helped us particularly in the more recent work on information flow. Okay, thanks. there no further questions? More asked during the talk? Are
1: trying to
0: Yeah, we are. Somebody was trying to do that. Well, we're still thinking around, but we could, the easiest one that's been looked at a lot is the hog pathway in yeast, where we can we have the hog pathway in yeast. We can use a microfluidic device to send in signals that fluctuate with time, and then we can use that to measure up. Yeah. All right, thanks. It was a tough talk for after lunch.